Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Everyone Wednesday today, and boy, do we have a great resource to share with you for Everyone Wednesday. Dr. George Barna has been hard at work at Arizona Christian University for the past several years. He's the uh, co-founding director and the director of research at ACU, and he brings us, I'll say on average, monthly reports about what his American Worldview Inventory has been showing us and also the cultural survey that he uh, takes a look at the morals and values of our nation. And um, he has written a book that uh, Arizona Christian has published recently. It's going to sound like an infomercial for Arizona Christian, but that's just where George works and they did the study. And and anyway, it's a good one. Um, The brand new book that is just now out is the subject of our conversation today here on this Everyone Wednesday here on the Bottom Line Show. The book is called Helping Millennials Thrive, Practical Wisdom for a Generation in Crisis. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And basically, when I first saw the title, first thought I had was, okay, this is another one of those like 1980s, 1990s youth worker books or hey, you're a parent and you got a kid in that age group and and you want to make sure that you help them survive and thrive. And then I started reading it and realized, you know, we've had a lot of these conversations here. But you realize that the millennial generation is the largest that's in the U.S. right now, which means they're the biggest voting block. And then it goes beyond that. Because now you begin to realize that this is the generation that was... um, Well, the first one to grow up on video, I mean, admit it, if you had a kid in the 1980s, um, you had a VCR, you had a camera, and you took VHS tapes of your kids, and basically they've had cameras in their faces ever since they were around. And then you were the over-involved parent. You did the PTA, you did the soccer, you did the scouting, you took them on family vacations. You made uh, uh, families a priority. Dads were super involved in the lives of their millennial kids. They were growing up. Now, millennials, just for sake of argument, the term was first coined right around the turn of the 21st century, the new millennium, 2000. And the idea was that the first millennials were born in 1982, which meant they became adults in theory, uh, turned 18 in the year 2000. What's happened with millennials since then is if you look at the calendar, the oldest millennials are 41 (laughs) right now. Now, that's a rather daunting task for those who thought, you know, baby boomer, there's a big gap between baby boom and and, uh, millennials. And Generation X is kind of sandwiched in the middle, but that's okay. We're we're used to being overlooked. The, The problem that millennials face now is a lot of people look at millennials as if they're kind of overgrown college students. But millennials, I mean, let's face it, some millennials are late 30s, early 40s. They're married. They have college careers or college degrees. They've got careers. They're buying homes. But they're also dealing with a lot of things that when we were in our 40s, just a few decades ago, we didn't have the same problems they did. Now, it's easy to point the finger at the uh, dollars and cents part of it and ask the question, well, okay, really? Is this about money? Is it about um, opportunity? I mean, it seems to me that millennials are doing all sorts of things 
in their late 30s and early 40s that my generation wasn't able to do. But what does the future hold? Why do so few millennials hold a biblical worldview? Why are so many millennials dealing with uh, situations of uh, anxiety and stress and fear and things of that nature that we didn't have to deal with? Um, it's amazing to think that you know what, what's happening in the culture with regarding to millennials is something that's really important. And this is not us as parents saying, I want to help fix my kid. But rather, this is us as Generation X, as baby boomers, as greatest generation members saying there are more of them than there are of us. So how do we understand who these people are, how they got to this point, and what we can do to kind of reverse the curse in some of the areas that might be going sideways? Now, I realize the majority of bottom line listeners are Generation X, baby boom, greatest generation. You're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. We do have a few bottom line listeners on a regular basis who are in their 30s and 40s and technically uh, qualify as younger Generation X or older millennials. There aren't a lot of Gen Z who listen, but if you are a Gen Z, uh, please give me a call. <laughs> but today we're going to take this hour and take a look at some of the issues that are facing the millennial generation. And we're going to center this on the brand new book by Dr. George Barna and the team at Arizona Christian University. It's called Helping Millennials Thrive, Practical Wisdom for a Generation in Crisis. Today is Everyone Wednesday. I would love to say that everybody is going to get a copy of this book, but I believe we have at least four, if not five copies of this book. You may not be a millennial, but if you want to know what the future of the nation is going to be with regard to these are the young adults now. Remember back in the 1980s, it was the yuppies, the young urban professionals. Now it's millennials. These are the ones who grew up in a culture where Generation X educators said, oh, we should have participation trophies and competition's not good. And what are we going to do? And we lots of hugs and lots of nap time and, you know, sparkle committees and all that stuff. And well, now that those folks are grownups, and adults, they're having struggles that adults haven't had in this culture before. And there definitely is a need for us as a nation to figure this out. Um, the research that George Barna conducted at Arizona Christian University, uh, Millennials in America, uh, New Insights into a Generation of Growing Influence, uh, is what is the basis of this book. But which is cool is first there's the research. The research about the millennial lifestyle, about the faith factor, about ideology and politics. You might be saying, why are all these young people so into LGBTQ things? Well, ask your millennial kids and grandkids. What about a biblical worldview? What about the way that millennials connect with other people? That's the first half of the book. Then the second half of the book is really cool because it features other voices besides Dr. Barna. Like case in point. Uh, what can be done moving forward? It doesn't do us any good as a nation, and especially in the church, if all we do is identify the problem and say, wow, that problem looks really bad. That's a bad problem. Whoa, is that a, did you see how bad this problem? <laughs> no one wants to hear that. But younger voices, millennial voices, Joanna Dias offers a Christian formational approach to supporting millennials. And Reverend Samuel Rodriguez, restoring millennials with the agenda of the lamb, talking about the political side. 
uh, Lucas Miles, uh, who's been a contributor to the Bottom Line Show for many years, uh, talking about an unchanging something and literally confronting the loss of truth. This is the first generation that became adults at a time where the biblical worldview was no longer the gold standard for morals and values. So what can be done to help people in the millennial generation kind of restore their faith? Because they're turning away from church. They're turning away from the Bible. They're turning away from God because they want relationships. They want uh, you know, higher education. This is the generation of people that are better educated than any generation in American history. One out of every three millennials has at least a bachelor's degree. Now, let me put this in perspective for you. In case you didn't already know, you probably did. If you are in Generation X or the baby boom generation, when you were growing up, the number of people in the United States who went to college went to college, let alone graduated from college, was approximately one out of every 10 high school seniors. And now, not only is a college degree kind of standard operating equipment, one out of every three millennials has at least a bachelor's degree, and more women are going to college than men. Women are earning more master's degrees, more doctorates than men. Um, That's not to take anything away from the women who are earning the degrees, But you have to ask the question, what are our millennials getting degrees in? My daughter Kaylee graduated from the University of Southern California last week with a PhD. Congratulations, KK. I'm really happy. Yeah, Dr. KK, right? And uh, she has a brother who has a master's degree. She has a sister who has a master's degree. And they are all in the educational field, in the academic world. And even their jobs are kind of tough to come by. Fortunately, they've been able to stay gainfully employed, and we're very happy about that for them. But George and I talk often on this program about why the millennial generation has to be one of the best educated, least knowledgeable generations around. And that's taking nothing away from anybody who listens to Bottom Line who's a millennial. But rather to say there's a lot of, you know, sweat and passion and everything else that goes into the, you know, academic world of millennials that doesn't always translate into real world common sense, I can get a job with this. And I don't blame the millennial generation at all. This is a generation that was told by their parents, you're amazing, you can do anything, you can do whatever you want to do, and get a college degree and that'll unlock your future. And yet we see this time and time again, more and more millennials are wrestling with depression, thoughts of suicide, chemical addiction, things of that nature, largely because Well, it's not working out. All of everything they were told from their very earliest days has not panned out. So how do we understand the millennial generation and help them to kind of uh, reverse course? Dr. George Barnett's brand new book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Again, it's called Helping Millennials Thrive, Practical Wisdom for a Generation in Crisis. Today is Everyone Wednesday, and we've got multiple copies. I want to say at least four copies of this book to give away. And that's why I'm grateful for George's friendship and partnership and why we're going to open up the phones right now so you can start calling in to win. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, Dr. George Barda and I tackle the problem of how do we help millennials thrive Uh, in a world that really 
looked like it was working in their favor until it wasn't. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to dive into a problem that has become a much larger problem. This is more than just parents looking at a younger generation and saying, gosh, why don't those kids want to grow up? Or or why, why is it so this younger generation, we don't really understand them. The millennial generation is the largest demographic in the United States right now, and they are in crisis. And fortunately, Dr. George Barna and the team at the Cultural Resource Center at Arizona Christian University have done some deep digging. And George has published a brand new book called Helping Millennials Thrive, Practical Wisdom for a Generation in Crisis. Dr. George Barna, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Good to be back with you, Roger. And we have to point out before we get started here that helping millennials thrive is involving more than just turning them on to great music from the 70s and 80s. Because, I mean, I when I t- saw that the, this is practical wisdom for a generation in crisis, that was the first thing I thought was that you're writing about the fact that their music's horrible. I mean, it's just, it's bad. And This is just and, a book about Cream and Led Zeppelin <laughs> and Hendrix. That's it. I mean, I, I not not to dismiss Tamara and her old generation, but the bad bands, quote unquote, you know, the one hit wonders, the B-side bandits, you know, from when we were coming up are way better than what we're dealing with right now. I mean, I'm sure that you don't pull out your bass and say, hmm, let's see, which uh, band from the 2000s can I cut? Not happen. No, it, it hasn't happened yet, but you never know. There's a first. Well, <laughs> it's my, all kidding aside, even though I'm not really keen on the millennial music. Let, let's talk about this general overview statement here. Millennials, large generation of young people grew up in affluence. Many of them grew up in the church and they're in crisis right now. How did that happen? Well, there are a lot of things that converged to facilitate that. I mean, certainly one of those was the way that they've been parented Uh, Part of it, though, has been the impact of media. You know, I mean, we look at arts and entertainment messages that they've received consistently, constantly over the course of their lifetime, and it's created a lot of problems for them. So, you know, this is a group that's having issues on many domains, in many domains, and uh, you know, it, there are things that we can help with, but there's not be any overnight solutions. No, no, that's definitely a, a long haul uh, effort here. But I love the way you've divided the book up in terms of first and foremost, you know, the, the research that you've done uh, with your team in terms of kind of helping to identify where the problems may lie, but then also bringing in some voices outside of your own to, uh, you know, speak into certain areas as well. Because, you know, it's it's amazing to me, uh, uh, our, our good friend Jim Burns likes to say, hey, when it comes to young people, remember, crisis is self-defined. You know, in many cases, uh, if a child says or a young adult says, I'm having a crisis, you have to wonder, well, is it really a crisis and where did this crisis come from? But let, let's get, I, I want to walk through, if we can, just some of the, the, the quick takes here you have at the beginning of the book uh, with regard to how we can provide some practical wisdom for a generation in crisis. You, you've got a section on the lifestyle of millennials. And oftentimes we who come from either uh, Generation X or uh, the baby boom generation, even greatest generation who are listening to us right now, might look at the millennials and say they're lazy, they're kind of slothful. Why is it their lifestyle is so quote unquote casual? George Barna, how, how much of the lifestyle of millennials indicates to us that they're in crisis? Well, there are a number of different things we can look at. I mean, first of all, one of the things we found is that three out of four of them literally 75% say they have no sense of meaning or purpose in life. Mm. So, you know, we look at them not getting out of bed. We say, wow, they're lazy. You know, they've got nothing to them. 
And the problem is it's more philosophical and emotional. I mean, there are a lot of different things that are behind this fact that when they look around, they don't know why they should get out of bed. And so you look at the highest suicide rate of any generation in America's history. And, you know, it goes back to a lot of these kind of basic things. Uh, some of it, uh, I think we can, well, actually, most of it, we can trace back to worldview. Mm -hmm. So no matter what issue I'm going to touch on with this generation, say, well, yeah, but that's because you believe this, that, or the other thing, which is errant. So, you know, here they believe people are basically good, and then they get burned by people, and they're distraught, they're overwhelmed, they can't understand it. It's like their world is falling apart. Well, I mean, Jesus was pretty clear on this. Well, we're all wicked sinners. Right. And, you know, that's why he had to die an unjust, painful death on a cross, was to save us from the consequences of our own sin. So we've got that. You know, you look at their identity crisis. It, it again, goes back to worldview. You know, if you would understand that there is truth and that God has defined you and he has a purpose for you, uh, why should he get that honor? Because he created you. You know, I mean, when you put all these things together in that manner, it helps to solve some of the problems. But to me, the biggest issue of all is their worldview. Only 2% of millennials have a biblical worldview. More than 95% of them have a, a syncretistic worldview. Mm -hmm. And when you're coming at life from that angle, nothing's going to make sense. And when you're talking about that synchronism, uh, Dr. George Barney, you're talking about that kind of, uh, for lack of a better phrase, that buffet mentality that says, I'll take a little Christianity, a little Hinduism, a side order of karma, and that, you know, that's kind of how it all works for me, when we know that that's not, I mean, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. In other words, if you see a buffet table like that for values and morals and things like that, don't sample it, because it's not going to be the meal that you're looking for. You know, it's interesting that you bring up karma, because this is one of the things that millennials, by and large, believe in. And, you know, the, the whole essence of that is that you're going to get what you deserve. And one of the things that I love about Christianity is that I'm not going to get what I deserve. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, right. you know, but, but they don't see things that way. And so, of course, they're always looking over their shoulder. They're always worried about what's coming next. You know, you believe in things like karma and reincarnation and all the other wackiness that's out there. And what does it do? It, it produces anxiety. And, uh, you know, that anxiety isn't a chemical imbalance. It's a worldview imbalance. And so if you go back to God's truth, you can fix a lot of that. Now, I know some people do have chemical imbalances. And sure. I'm, not making light of that. I'm not denying that that happens. But I will say that our society's solution to everything seems to be Medicaid. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, I think we're medicating non-existent conditions. Uh, I've seen this with some friends of mine, even some relatives of mine. And when we got to the point of saying, no, you know what, it's really a spiritual issue. It's not a chemical or medical issue. That solves a lot. Dr. George Barna is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Helping Millennials Thrive, Practical Wisdom for a Generation in Crisis. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and I appreciate the fact that this is not one of those five points in a poem. These are three easy steps for turning things around. This is to help us understand 
that obviously the goal of life, God created us not just to survive, but to thrive. And yet for all of the tools and all the resources available to the millennial generation, they find themselves as a generation in crisis, largely because not adapting a biblical worldview, not, not that they didn't grow up. I mean, George, I would, I would venture a guess, and this is anecdotal, that the majority of young people have grown up in some kind of faith tradition, if not going to a Christian church, and then they hit, you know, maybe the high school years or the college years, the years where we are moving from uh, from uh, grammar to logic to rhetoric. And once it comes becomes rhetorical, the questions go from why to why not. I mean, it's just it, it, there's there are no concrete answers, so they just kind of drift off, find a tribe that subscribes to what they want to subscribe to, and then it becomes an echo chamber from there. And what we find is that with each succeeding generation, fewer and fewer of them have any kind of a faith foundation to build on. So in terms of our adult generations, millennials have the weakest of the spiritual foundations or biblical foundations to build on. So in some ways, it's not surprising that they've you know gone off track. Uh, but there's a lesson in that to all of us as we look at the two uh, generations that are succeeding them, you know, what's being called Gen Z, and then who knows what's after that. But, uh, you know, with both of those groups, they have virtually no foundation, biblical mm. foundation. Wow. And so we're no longer, I think, capable of being considered a post-Christian world. We're really a pre-Christian world. Mm. And so for us to have that distinction in mind and recognize, okay, I can't assume that if I talk about Bible stories or Bible characters, the light bulb is going to go on. People are going, oh, okay, that's what that means. That's how that fits in. That's how that's relevant to me. They're going to say, you know, Joshua, Jeremiah, Josiah, who's that? You know, so we really have to start from scratch. Dr. George Parnas' book, Helping Millennials Thrive, Practical Wisdom for a Generation in Crisis, is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we'll be giving away a copy or two at the end of our conversation. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, let's let's wander into politics for a little bit. We'll talk about ideology. Why does it seem that there are so many different attitudes and viewpoints coming from a millennial generation that really has taken simple, basic yes or no choices and turn them into uh, kind of uh, cacophonous situations that are creating confusion. More of my conversation with Dr. George Barna in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday here on The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, Dr. George Barna, my recurring guest here on the program. We get a chance to hang out with George about once a month. 
you'll recall last fall we uh, we did some recording together. I think it was in late, uh, gosh, it was early December. And then he said, hey, I'm working on a couple of books and my wife and I are doing a mission trip to Africa and I won't be able to connect with you again for a while. And we didn't hook up again until probably the end of March. And then we've had a couple of visits with him since then. But the brand new book that's out is called Helping Millennials Thrive, Practical Wisdom for a Generation in Crisis. We have a link for this outstanding resource up at thebottomlineshow.com and Dr. Barna and our friends at Arizona Christian University have been very generous to provide us at least four copies of this book. If you have uh, kids or grandkids who are millennials and you're wondering why it seems like their life is a lot tougher than yours was, uh, well, A, it's different, but B, um, it is tougher, but maybe not for the reasons that you might think. This book will help answer a lot of questions because it features Dr. Barna in addition to voices like uh, Lucas Miles and uh, Reverend Samuel Rodriguez and others. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we've got multiple copies of Dr. George Barna, at least four copy of Dr. George Barna's book, Helping Millennials Thrive, Practical Wisdom for a Generation in Crisis. The link is up at thebottomlineshow.com, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And while you're on the subject here, you may want to give Dennis Wilson a call because baby boomers who are facing retirement woes are going to be passing those woes on to millennials. That's the last thing that they need. Uh, the Baby Boomer Dilemma is an outstanding movie that helps you understand the retirement system, the pension system, 401ks and IRAs, how they were started, what was the original intent and how we can kind of reverse course there as well. Call Dennis at 800-696-9970 or just drop us a line here at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll get you a screener of the Baby Boomer Dilemma absolutely free today only. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the Bottom Line Show. And uh, you can get the Baby Boomer Dilemma and get in on the drawing for the book Helping Millennials Thrive by Dr. George Barna. More of that conversation in just a moment. Bottom Line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. 
Dr. George Barnum, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, just having a chat about millennials. And it always comes back to music for George and me, and especially as bass players, because we naturally think, and George, you can see if you're watching on myhopenow.com, you can see that George has this colossal collection of basses. And I know that you've got them turned around so we won't see the autographs of the famous people who signed them. I mean, that's, and I appreciate your modesty, George Barnum, doing that. But we were are tasked with the responsibility of making it sound like a song. And so I appreciate the fact that you take all the data that you compile at the uh, Center for Cultural Research at uh, Arizona Christian University, compile data, and then come up with these reports, the American Worldview Inventory, or this new book, Helping Millennials Thrive, Practical Wisdom for a Generation in Crisis. Link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Millennials are having a tougher time. Maybe they need some good bass player heroes to, to making the song of life actually sound like a song. I mean, it, it seems like whether it's relationally or in mental health or whatever, that crisis application that you've got there, that that, that moniker really applies to just about every area of life for them. I like where you're going with this. Yeah, more bass players. That's the solution to the <laughs> crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the bottom end figured out, and then you got it all. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, when we look at at what's going on, here's a group where a majority of them flat out admit to the fact that they wrestle with mental health issues, and they're not so much worried about the stigma of that. They want help. They need help. You know, and what they tell us is that on a daily basis, they feel anxious, they feel depressed, they, they, they're they fearful of what's going on around them. And, you know, obviously, sometimes that winds up being suicidal tendencies. So, yeah, these are these are serious issues. But as I say, I think if your mindset is, you know what, there is no God, I'm in charge. There's no truth that's reliable or predictable or relevant to my life. It has to come from inside of me. Uh, I'm the only one that can determine right and wrong. There's nothing beyond this life. Success, well, it's based on what I accomplish, how I mm -hmm. feel, my sense of comfort and, and uh, pride in myself. Uh, you know, if there's any purpose, I guess it's it's about my feeling fulfilled in life. Look, when that's your worldview, of course, you're going to be anxious and depressed, you know, but that's not mental illness. That's bad worldview. Right. And so getting a proper perspective on a lot of these things is really what's going to help millennials get over this. And frankly, the first thing that many of them have to do, and and I don't mean this in a, a cruel way, a mean way, a judgmental way. But the first thing all of us have to do, whether we're millennial or not, is get over ourselves. Mm -hmm. But what, what we know is with millennials, because they believe that really it is all about themselves, their happiness, their success, their identity, everything has to come from within. If that's where you're searching for truth and meaning and purpose and everything else that's that's good and that's going to propel you forward, you're going to be awfully disappointed. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about who he created you to be, what he created you for, how much he wants to love you. And when you when you grasp those basic realities, that changes the whole game of life. You know, it's, I can hear what the title of your next book is going to be, because we've got a whole generation of millennials who are uh, in crisis right now, and they've been told that they're the center of the universe. I think the next book would be called Mia Culpa, Conf Confessions of a Generation X Parent. 
who did that to their kids, you know, had a camera in their face the minute they were born, told them they were the center of the universe, you know, didn't give them piano lessons, just said, go be a star somewhere. And it, it, it's got to be disorienting. I mean, for millennials and Generation Z, George, there are things that people can do to, quote unquote, succeed in this business that make no sense. I mean, for example, TikTok. I mean, you you could be an influencer, if you will. I mean, there's nothing, about, there's no hard work. I mean, there's kind of dumb luck and chance and circumstance that makes that happen. And having a faith foundation grounds you so you could look at that and say, wow, that's crazy. I don't know how that guy got 10 million likes and now that, that's what they do for a living because you now understand that there's a greater purpose in life than getting likes and shares. And I, I, I saw this happen during the 2022 midterm elections. And I know you have a section in your book, Helping Millennials Thrive, about ideology, about politics, to see the number of millennial voters who voted in favor of basically codifying abortion into constitutional state laws, simply because they were told your democracy is at risk and you'll lose all your health care if you don't vote yes on this, and not having the discernment to ask the question, well, how is my democracy at risk? You know, <laughs> What's going to happen? I mean, the, the political decisions that millennials make oftentimes are purely emotional, aren't they? Uh, most of the decisions that they make, no matter what dimension of life, what we found is that, yes, it is all based on the emotion of the moment. It's based on the situation and you know how they think they're going to get responded to based on their mm -hmm. their choices mm -hmm. oh so, yeah i mean they they really do struggle and, and many americans do it's not just millennials but you know this is a generation that i think could be defined by the struggles they have with gaining perspective and developing appropriate priorities and you know as we look at all the shifts that have taken place during the pandemic as a result of the pandemic the millennials are one of the generations that got hit hardest not so much in terms of health issues, but just in terms of, of the, the scramble that life has become for them, because none of it makes sense anymore. Mm -hmm. Even their feelings feel all scrambled and jumbled up. And so they're, they're really searching without often knowing it for something that's solid and meaningful and predictable and proven over the course of time. You know, and of course, my advice would be, you know, just take some time and read the Bible, read the stories, even if you don't like all the other stuff. The stories themselves are fascinating. It's a generation that loves stories and narratives. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, here's, you know, probably the greatest storybook of all time. And amazingly, it's all true. Amazing. And so, you know, when, when you can get principles out of those stories that will help you to make better decisions, that will help you to make sense out of what seems like a turbulent and crazy and chaotic world, man, that book is priceless. Spend some time with it. Dr. George Barna is the lead researcher at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. He's the author of the brand new book called Helping Millennials Thrive, Practical Wisdom for a Generation in Crisis. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And, and uh, George, our audience with The Bottom Line Show a little older. There are a few millennials that listen, but the vast majority are people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond. A resource like this really is an eye-opener. It really is a game-changer in terms of helping us to understand why you might have that child who's in their 30s and they are having a hard time figuring it out. I just can't get on track. I, I don't know what it is. Take the last couple of moments of our, our we got a couple of minutes here left, and, and help us to understand what's the best way for us who are not millennials to utilize the principles that you write about in your new book, Helping Millennials Thrive. Nothing's going to change by simply transferring information to them. 
what's going to happen, what will make change happen is if you take the time to develop the relationship and spend more time listening than anything else. Because when we listen to their pain, their suffering, their confusion, their anxiety, their fears, all of these things, it gets gives us a better grip on how to interact with them, not by telling them they're wrong and they're stupid or they're losers, but by loving them. I mean, that's what Jesus did with people. He loved them into the kingdom of God. And, you know, he did some other tangible things along the way, but it all starts with that relationship. And so understanding where they're coming from and then being able to ask them questions about, well, how do you think you got there? What do you think brought this about? What What's the philosophy that underlies that for you? Is there one? Or is this just, you know, the feeling of the moment? And not judging them, but trying to help them get a grip on their own situation. These are not stupid people, but they are confused people. And so our job really is, is to love them out of that confusion and into something that makes sense for them in the long run. Listening is the language of love, and, uh, and this generation, more than any other, needs to be listened to rather than lectured to. And that's great sage wisdom from Dr. George Barna, who has been our guest today here on The Bottom Line Show. George's new book is called Helping Millennials Thrive, Practical Wisdom for a Generation in Crisis. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. George Barna, always a pleasure. Rock on, my brother. And uh, have a great time jetting across the pond to all the exploits that you and your lovely wife have lined up. We'll look forward to our next conversation uh, soon. In the meantime, thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you, Roger. Always great to catch up with Dr. George Barna. And today here on The Bottom Line, as I mentioned, we have four copies at least of the, uh, oh, excuse me, we have five. Tamara, just standing me a note. Thank you. Five copies of the book, uh, Helping Millennials Thrive to Give Away. And we're giving them away right now here on this Everyone Wednesday here on The Bottom Line Show. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the book you'll be asking for, Dr. George Barna's brand new book called Helping Millennials Thrive, Practical Wisdom for a Generation in Crisis. This is not a quote-unquote parenting book. This is not something that you say, okay, well, here, you know, that, that title almost makes it sound like, well, yeah, my kids are millennials. That means they're in junior high and high school. Trust me, millennials are 40 this year, okay? <laughs> they're, they're old and grown. They've got their own ways. I mean, they, they've got jobs. They've got college careers. But chances are they are really struggling in life because, quite frankly, the path that they were promised to if you follow this path your life is going to work out hasn't always worked out for a lot of them and higher incidences of depress of depression and despair and uh, people falling away from their faith in christ and just really having a, a tough time george's research is there with regard to worldview and ideology and things like that it'll paint a very clear picture as to where the millennial generation is but then there's also hope and you'll hear from millennial voices as well that are weighing in on this and saying, hey, I, I want to be in on this conversation as well. Uh, Dr. George Barna, brand new book called Helping Millennials Thrive, Practical Wisdom for a Generation in Crisis. The link is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Five copies of this book to give away, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, Dr. Barna, of course, is doing great work with Arizona Christian University. 
Well, Arizona Christian University found themselves on the wrong end of a uh, discrimination action involving a public school system that had been utilizing ACU students as uh, uh, student teachers and campus assistants and things of that nature. And a week ago, or excuse me, a month ago, the uh, school district in question actually canceled the contract simply because they didn't like the quote-unquote values that Arizona Christian stood for. Well, there's been an update in that case, and our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom led the way with this charge. We'll give you that update coming up next as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to Dr. George Barna uh, from Arizona Christian University. The outstanding new book, Helping Millennials Thrive, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we've got five copies of this book we're giving away today here on Everyone Wednesday, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I mentioned we have five copies of this book to give away and would love to place one in your hot little hands. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, Dr. George Barna has been camping out at Arizona Christian University for the past, gosh, four years now. And Arizona Christian has a, a really good reputation in terms of doing something that I think is important to for young people, especially these college students who are in Generation Z and are teaching kids that are being raised and reared by uh, uh, millennials. And that is they have a working relationship with the Washington Elementary School District in Arizona public school district and Arizona Christian University has been uh, partnered with that school district for the better part of the last decade in providing uh, well teachers <laughs> I mean if you've ever been in the public school teaching world you know that it's important you have to do your uh, student teaching as part of getting your credential or your certification depending on the state and the student teachers rely on a good working relationship between the university where they're doing their studies and the school district where they're actually plying their trade. And Arizona Christian had a good feeder relationship with the Washington Elementary School District in Arizona. And had, it was 11 years they had uh, a partnership in place. There's a contract that's signed that says that when Arizona Christian had teacher candidates, you know, student teachers needing to do student teaching before they got their certification to actually get hired in the either public school world or the private school world, they, um, they, they all of a sudden had their contract canceled. This was a couple of months ago. It was very shocking because there have literally been dozens of students from Arizona Christian University who have spent their time doing their student teaching at the Washington Elementary School. And it's interesting to see the reason why. Well, it's actually in the Washington Elementary School District. Not only that, but a lot of ACU students actually um, have gotten jobs there. I think that at last count, in the Washington Elementary School District, more than 100 former Arizona Christian University students had gotten any number of jobs. Obviously, the most natural would be, did your student teaching in the district, and then you got a job in the district because they had a chance to watch you and kind of audition you and see if you'd work out. But then um, there were also other positions too, you know, campus supervisors and aides and things like that. And a lot of ACU students had been hired by the Washington Elementary School District in Arizona to fill those roles. 
And so, you know, it seemed like they had a pretty good relationship. And then all of a sudden, a couple of months ago, contract up for renewal and a couple of members of the school board for the Washington Elementary School District decided they were going to terminate the contract. So ACU contacted Alliance Defending Freedom and they contacted the university and they said, hey, what's the deal? I mean, because here, the school board basically had been accusing the school of being, um, well, discriminatory. But it's very interesting to see what they did. Instead of actually citing actual examples, you know, this young woman was a student teacher in the Washington Elementary School District, and she verbally harassed a transgender student, or this guy was working as a coach or and and he was uh, you know discriminatory to a kid who has same-sex parents for couples or whatever it was, couple for parents it wasn't that wasn't the case at all that wasn't the reason i mean they were looking for some kind of reasoning along those lines where they actually had incidents but it turned out there were none in the 11 years that arizona christian university had been supplying not only student teacher candidates but also had gotten many of their students hired by the district there hadn't been any complaints. They were all getting stellar job reviews. So what was it that changed the board's mind? Well, this is a five-member school board, and three of the members voted against re, uh, redoing the contract. Uh, one of them, uh, a woman called Tamilia Valenzuela, uh, there's a picture of her here from the website. She's, she's wearing cat ears you know, that kind of style thing, and her hair has a green streak in it. She looks kind of young and hip. Um, she describes herself as, quote, a bilingual, disabled, neurodivergent, queer, black, Latina. Uh, okay. <clears throat> that's Apparently, that's how she describes herself on the school board website. But she said that she had concerns about Arizona Christian University, not because of any interactions with the faculty, not because of any interactions with the administration, certainly not because of the students, but because of what she read about the school on their website. Quoting her here, my concerns is, which is not right, when I go to Arizona Christian University's website, they are, quote, committed to Jesus Christ, accomplish, accomplishing his will and advancements on earth as in heaven. While I full-heartedly believe in religious freedom and that people should be able to practice whatever faith they have, I had some concerns regarding looking at this particular institution. And I think it's a really good time for us to take a moment and really pause about where our values lie. Part of their values to transform the culture with truth by promoting a biblically informed value system uh, that are foundational to Western civilization, including the centrality of family, traditional sexual morality, and lifelong marriage between one man and one woman. She continued, if bringing people in whose mission has been with their institution's education that very plainly on their website, then above all else was to influence people to be biblically minded, how does that hold space for people of other faiths? How does that hold space for members of the LGBT community? How does that hold space for people who think differently and don't have the same beliefs? Another school board member named Kyle Clinton, Clinton said, or Clayton rather, said, I too echo what Ms. Valenzuela said. I looked into not only their core values, but their statement of faith. Proselytizing is embedded in how they teach. 
And I just don't believe that that belongs in schools. Excuse me. Excuse me again. And I just don't believe that belongs in schools. Okay, now that's a rich statement. (laughs) The LGBTQ community that has been force-feeding transgender and gay marriage ideologies on children for years now is concerned that a Christian college might actually be proselytizing? Um, Yeah, so uh, Alliance Defending Freedom took up the case, and according to ADF Senior Counsel and Vice President of U.S. Litigation David Cortman, quote, By discriminating against Arizona Christian University and denying it an opportunity to participate in the student-teacher program because of religious status and beliefs, the school district was a blatant violation of the U.S. Constitution, not to mention state law, that protects ACU's religious freedom. And, then adding, at a time when there's a critical shortage of qualified, caring teachers, the Washington Elementary School District Board did the right thing by prioritizing the needs of elementary school teachers children once again and agreeing to partner once again with ACU's student teachers. In other words, they backed off on their policy, they're going to pay some legal fees, and they signed the contract again. This is an important win for us as Christians and uh, Americans, but there's also an important message to get through here, and I want to underscore that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Don't believe your insurance company is looking out for you. They're not. They want you to call them after you're in an accident, but you shouldn't handle that alone. That's where Stephanie Cover of Cover Law shines. With 20 years of insurance industry experience, she knows all the angles and will fight for your rights. Insurance companies pretend to be your partner, but in reality, their primary goal is to pay you as little as possible. When you work with Cover Law, Stephanie becomes your negotiator, and the insurance companies must talk to her, not you. You need to rest and heal. Stephanie is different from other attorneys. She's fully invested in your legal, medical, financial, emotional, and spiritual needs. After an accident, you don't want to deal with insurance adjusters who want to minimize your payout. So don't wait. Contact Kbright's personal injury attorney today at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. You won't pay a dime to talk to someone who truly cares about your healing. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday here on The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Dr. George Barna's book is up for grabs. We have five copies of this book called Helping Millennials Thrive, Practical Wisdom for a Generation in Crisis. There is a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, this story out of Arizona involving the school that uh, George Barn is doing his work with now, Arizona Christian University, there is resolution. The Washington Elementary School District in Arizona uh, finally decided to renew their contract with Arizona Christian University so ACU could continue to provide student teachers for the school district. And of course, the district doesn't have to pay for that. These are students who are trying to finish off their teaching credential or master's degree or whatever they do in Arizona. And then a lot of ACU students have gotten jobs. They work as noon duty supervisors and they PE coaches and you know that type of thing. And there's never been a complaint. So why did the district take the position that they did? This is very important. It's easy for us to run past this and dismiss this, but two members 
of the board, actually three of the five, felt that because the school is a quote-unquote Christian school and promoted Christian values on their website, they assumed that the school would be discriminatory against people in the LGBT community or people of other faiths. They just assumed. Alliance Defending Freedom represented the university, and they told that the school board, they said, look, they showed a blatant hostility to ACU's beliefs when they questioned how, on one hand, you could be committed to Jesus Christ at the same time show respect for the dignity of students and board members in the LGBTQ community. But please understand why this is such an important ruling. It's important not only because ACU wins on a constitutional and religious freedom issue, but also it tells us in the body of Christ what kind of world we live in right now. It's not a question of saying if we win three or four or more of these cases, they'll go away. They'll be quiet. They'll stop attacking us. The prevailing majority opinion in the culture right now is that the school board was right and Alliance Defending Freedom and Arizona Christian University were wrong and they won on a constitutional technicality. But may we, as people who have dual citizenship, you know, citizens of heaven, residents of earth, doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven, may we never get so comfortable with the law being on our side and America being a Christian nation that we would miss an opportunity to truly present the gospel to people who desperately need to hear it. Three of the five members of the Washington Elementary School District Board in Arizona need Jesus. There's no question about it. And they told us flat out, well, you're a Christian, right? I mean, if you're a Christian, then obviously you hate us. And then you hear 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer with gentleness and respect. The school did it that way. Alliance Defending Freedom did it that way. Would that we be the kind of Christians who would deliver that kind of a rebuke of sorts, but to do it in a loving and caring way that ultimately says, I want to see you come to faith in Christ. That is good news, and that's the bottom line. KCBC audience, enjoy Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, more of these Everyone Wednesday stories coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, or welcome to The Bottom Line Show, depending on when you are tuning in uh, to the broadcast. I know a lot of people listen on on Wednesdays or throughout the other course of the week, and they spend a good portion of time at work and then are able to jump on and hear at 4 o'clock, the uh, 4 to 4.30 hour in Pacific time zone, which is 5 to 5.30 in Colorado. I want to welcome everyone who is listening uh, on KLDC in Denver. We have a lot of more, a lot more listeners recently who have been listening to the half-hour recap edition of the Bottom Line Show on KLTT, our sister station in Denver. That airs every weekday afternoon from 2.30 to 3 local time. And I try to stress to those listeners uh, in Colorado that the full 90-minute edition of the Bottom Line Show is available from 5, excuse me, 4 to 5.30 uh, Mountain Time every weekday afternoon on AM 1220, KLDC in Denver. And a lot more folks, it seems like, are joining uh, the 90-minute broadcast from the half hour. So uh, thanks for tuning in to KLTT, and thanks for tuning in to KLDC. And thanks to everybody who listens everywhere, uh, new listeners in Texas and Kentucky and New York. And, uh, you know, it's amazing what, when you have the app technology. You can either download the KBright radio app or the KCBC app 
or you can download the we don't have a bottom line show app yet we really should Tamara, let's get to work on that okay <laughs> but also you can check out our videos at myhopenow.com you can hear the podcast anywhere you can consume podcastable material and it's one thing to listen to it whether it's an apple podcast at your tune in wherever you get yours but um, one way to make sure you never miss a podcast of The Bottom Line Show is to subscribe and then download the podcast. And then you can share it with your friends. So, I mean, you can you can listen to it on demand, listen to it whatever you want to. I, I've got uh, several ministries set up where I download the podcast each week. And then when I get a chance to listen to it, I go back and listen to it. But uh, it's a great way to uh, uh, never miss a broadcast or have a backup because sometimes you're listening on the radio and you're like, wait, what, what do they say? And we're doing the show live and so... You don't get a chance to uh, uh, go back and scroll the way you do, do when you have the opportunity to listen to the podcast. So I really encourage you to sign up for, uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and then uh, download them. Uh, that's a great way to have it. And then you, if someone is talking about something at church or in the neighborhood, and you ask, uh, they ask a question about something that jogs your memory, you go, oh, wait, they talked about that on the bottom line. <laughs> now you've got the content to share with them. I'm still taking your calls on George Barna's book, by the way, on uh, helping millennials thrive. It's Everyone Wins Day here on the Bottom Line Show, so everybody calls is going to win something today. Uh, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, Several years ago, it became somewhat fashionable uh, to have conversations about racial relations and segregation and racism and reparations and things of that nature. It's been on national conversation for many, many years. But in 2020, the California state legislature uh, took a look at what was happening in the culture. Um, the George Floyd riots, Ahmed Aubrey. I mean, there were so many different cases, Breonna Taylor, that uh, came to the national forefront. And if you look at each of the cases individually, you could see where there, it was definitely not a one-size-fits-all case. I mean, obviously, in the George Floyd case, people would point out that, uh, you know, the, the, the Derek Chauvin with his knee on George Floyd's neck for nine minutes and I can't breathe, and then he wind up dying in police custody. Um, was a horrible and horrific tragedy. But some people say, well, yeah, but he had a drug problem and you know, he, he wasn't like a model citizen, which, I, again, I, I don't understand that argument. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't understand the argument when a, a, a suspect is taken into custody, like Tyree Nichols or whatever. I don't understand the conversation that says, well, just because the guy, he was, a, you know, Rodney King was avoiding arrest and he had, uh, you know, spe- lots of speeding tickets and this, that, and the other thing. And so, therefore, I guess he deserved to be beaten up. <laughs> I mean, Rodney King was no poster child for model citizenry, but he didn't deserve to be beaten up by LAPD officers back in 1992. And the same thing, um, or 91, and the same thing goes on with these other cases. But in 2020, California state legislators passed a bill that Governor Newsom signed into law later in 2022 that basically required a task force to be put together and then to take a look at how California had uh, participated in racism against African-Americans and that it was systemic and then what could be do what could be done to handle this now understand California was not a slave owning state per se uh, when California was incorporated into the United States of America back in 1849 and 
um, other than you know the same type of Jim Crow segregationist laws that have always been uh, a part and parcel of the United States. I mean, it's just brief refresher course. I mean, just so we all, it's kind of like it's kind of like the pre- proclamation of the gospel. You know, Martin Luther said, "I don't preach the gospel because you need to hear it so much as I preach the gospel because I need to hear it." You know, we're sinful people. We're born into a sinful, fallen world. We can't free ourselves from that sin. Uh, God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son uh, to pay the penalty for our sin. Uh, whoever believes that Jesus Christ is the perfect Lamb of God who could take away the sin of the world and willingly did so on the cross and that his death and resurrection uh, pays the penalty for your sin and mine. The fact that he raised from the dead and conquered uh, death and hell uh, means that we have that same conquering power as well by the blood of Jesus. So that I mean, that that's the essence of the gospel. What you believe as a Christian is that you're a sinner, that you can't free yourself from that sin, that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin on the cross. His blood not only wipes your slate clean so that it's just as if you were, had never sinned, but uh, it also pays the penalty for your sin. And as you are working through your sanctification with fear and trembling and your salvation's being worked out, that the, you have repentance uh, opportunities to where if you do sin, you can come before the Lord and say, Lord, I sinned, please forgive me, and he'll forgive you. And then you share that testimony with other people according to the will of God as recorded in Scripture. And so we, we understand that as the nature of, you know, who we are. Toward that end, then, you know, the people are saying, well, people keep calling America a Christian nation, but what about slavery? What about segregation? What about? Well, I mean, as Christians, we could look objectively and say, yeah, you're right. The Declaration of Independence said that all men are created equal, endowed with, by their creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And then we signed the uh, Constitution into law, identifying that 20% of the population was in slavery. I mean, that's so Christian principles to declare independence, but with the Constitution, didn't get it all right. I mean, 6% of Americans could vote in elections based on the stipulations in the Constitution. You had to be a white male who owned property. And so as much as we were trying to get away from the monarchy and the aristocracy of England, basically, guess what we had in the United States? We had 6% of the population who could vote. And we called these free elections in a democracy, but it was really only 6% of the population. And 20% of the population was not even recognized as human beings. It was, they were people who were bought and sold. And so if you look at the American war on, you know, the battle for really uh, independence of all people, uh, meaning the abolition of slavery, when the Civil War finally ended, the Emancipation Proclamation, the 13th, 14th Amendment, by 1865-1866, we had you know, the, the idea that now everybody is free. We don't own slaves in the United States anymore. We don't buy and sell people. And that's a good thing. But remember, the reason why next month Americans will be celebrating Juneteenth as a federal holiday is to remember the fact that the Emancipation Proclamation was written in 1862, delivered on January 1st, 1863. The Civil War was over in 1865, and oh, by the way, the last two years of the Civil War, slavery had basically been tossed by the wayside. And yet it was the slaves in Texas who were the last people to hear on June 19th, 1865, that they actually were free people. Hence, Juneteenth is celebrated as a holiday. And I think, quite frankly, it's a perfect bookend to July 4th. It's too bad July 4th didn't come first because you could do the American independence and then all people are created equal. But, you know, for people who are freaking out saying, why do we have two independence days? And why are they calling it black independence? Well, that's why. I mean, it's really very simple. 
There were African Americans in the state of Texas who still thought they were slaves up until June 19, 1865, when they were finally declared free. So if your black friends don't really get a big kick out of Fourth of July, please understand why. But now when it comes to reparations, that's a whole different ball of wax or so it would seem because it's not like every African-American in the United States is saying, yeah, where's my check? You know, my life has been horrible. I mean, look at the accomplishments of African-Americans, getting college degrees, starting businesses, buying homes, marrying, having kids. I mean, the things that you would expect American citizens to do when they're thriving in the culture. And yet there are those who say, hey, look, what about segregation and housing? What about, uh, you know, illegal land seizures? What about, uh, you know, the, the, the Jim Crow laws and systemic racism? Well, the California Reparations Committee attempted to address this issue. And yeah, you've heard the numbers about, you know, 300,000 for this and 400,000 for that and 5 million and 100 billion. And, and, and even the, our friends at the Pacific Research Institute have put out a pretty good analysis saying, look, there is no way anywhere on heaven or on earth that the state of California has enough money to pay back or pay forward or pay to existing uh, claim holders all the monies that are being proposed and being floated around. But I want to take a look at uh, what some of the task force meetings have been uncovering because there's one area in terms of reparations where the state of California wants to give a state agency veto power over local real estate decisions. And this is kind of an interesting aspect of this because this could actually be something that could turn out to be very beneficial or it could be a horrible disaster and actually be kind of what a lot of the land grabs that happened against black folks in the United States, uh, kind of that way in reverse. We'll take a look at this one aspect of the reparations report coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Everyone Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, so grateful that you've tuned in today. If you haven't called in yet, 800-227-5278. Everyone Wednesday simply means that everybody who calls in wins something. I believe we've given away all of the George Barna books on how to help millennials thrive, but we have a lot more uh, resources in the prize container, uh, a prize bin. We should just call it a prize pit, as it were, and Crystal's handling the phones today. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. California's Reparations Task Force is calling for the state legislature to require all cities and counties that have allegedly or reportedly segregated neighborhoods to submit all their real estate ordinances to a state agency for approval based on whether they maintain or actually lessen so-called residential racial segregation. 
Now, the task force is the one that we mentioned in the earlier segment. Created by state legislature, signed into law by Governor Newsom in 2020, has finally formally approved final recommendations for the legislature to decide whether or not to enact the measures and then send them to the governor's desk either to be signed into law or to be vetoed. The recommendations include several proposals meant to address what is referred to as housing segregation and unjust property takings that contribute to the systemic racism against black Californians. Now, that's allegedly because the question is how much of it can you trace? How much of it can you maintain? I'll give you uh, from the report. They say residential zoning ordinances have been used for decades in California to prevent African-Americans from moving into neighborhoods, thereby maintaining residential segregation. Various laws were used to prevent additional housing from being built, effectively shutting out African-Americans. Now, before you come in with the yeah, but, well, wait a minute, and I'll give you a yeah, but. I mean, just to start, uh, friend, Pastor Cedric, uh, uh, Pastor Cedric Brown, who's a pastor of the uh, uh, Commitment Community Church in New Jersey, grew up in Compton, and we got to know each other probably eight years ago. And he grew up in a neighborhood that was predominantly black, and he said, you know, people think that Compton, you mentioned that city, is just like the movie, straight out of Compton. And he said, you know, in my neighborhood, all the moms and dads were married and still together. Uh, his dad was like a pharmacist or an attorney or something like that. I mean, every, they, they had jobs. I mean, the, the parents checked in on each other and checked up on their kids. He went off to play um, Division One college football at Washington State, played in the NFL, and became a pastor. I mean, he said, look, not everybody. Don't paint everyone with the same brush with regard to, well, we all know that. At the same time, though, it is pretty easy to document and to look at different places all across the country where there have been the the, the tactic known as redlining where uh, certain government agencies would mark certain areas as less desirable or more desirable and and virtually make it impossible for people of color to get home loans to buy houses in certain areas or whatever uh, there's a big uh, kerfluffle going on right now with the federal uh, housing administration and the freddie mac and fannie mae loans where you may have heard that people with quote, quote unquote good credit are now being forced to pay for loans so that people with bad credit can get them. And that is factually true. However, they're leaving out one part of that story that really changes the whole tone of the conversation. And that is typically people with really good credit and you're getting an FHA loan don't have to pay a lot in points or origination fees, or these are all you know backroom terms to where if you had a say a $300,000 loan and the bank charged you one point as an origination fee or a processing fee, that'd be 1% of the $300,000 loans would be three grand. But if you have lousy credit or a more challenged credit, they might charge you two or three points. So now that $300,000 loan is going to cost you $9,000 instead of $3,000, if you see the point. So what the FHA has proposed is to help people who are in tougher credit situations, predominantly people of uh, color, to be able to qualify, make it easier for them to qualify. What they're proposing is where they would typically pay like 3.5% for an FHA loan. Now they only have to pay 2.5%, and people who wouldn't have to pay a point will have to pay like a half a point or something like that. So the headline says people with good credit pay more so that people with bad credit can get houses. But the reality is it's people with good credit will pay a small fee. So people who don't have great credit don't have to pay as high of a fee. They're still paying more for their loan than the people with the better credit. But that never makes it in the headlines. 
You know, and so oftentimes when we hear the reparations because everyone and all people, well, okay, you have to look, I mean, Dr. Henry Cloud 101, I love what Henry writes about in his book. Uh, He and Dr. John Townsend wrote the Boundaries book. But Henry has a phrase that I picked up years ago, and I borrow it all the time from him and give him full credit every time. He said, here's the, the, the issue that people are dealing with. They see problems in their life, and they try to solve problems. And what they don't realize is that the problems are the result of patterns. And so if you spend all your time trying to solve the problem, it's like trying to treat the symptoms rather than the disease. But if you spend your time trying to treat the problem and not the pattern, you miss out. So if you change your focus on changing the pattern, then you eliminate the problem or you have a much greater chance of eliminating the problem. So the problem of have African-Americans had a harder time getting financing for housing, for example, or just even being eligible that really becomes less of a how do we throw more money at the african-american community so they could buy homes or how do we one of the the suggestions here is that part of the reparations would be low or no interest loans uh you know cheaper money what you know whatever it is to to make home pricing more affordable but i would suggest hey why don't we look at the whole system i mean and, and as a case in point Take a look at Bruce's Beach. I mean, it's just, I know it's one example. Uh, there are lots of them all over the country, but this is a California example. The Bruce family purchased land in Manhattan Beach, California in the early 20th century, and they established a beach resort for, uh, for black Americans who wanted to come and hang out at the beach. <laughs> Contrary to what some people might think, yes, people of all different backgrounds like to go to the beach, and especially in Southern California. So the Bruce's bought a home and brought, bought some land, and they established basically a beachfront place for folks of the African-American persuasion to come and hang out. And the reason they did so was because most African-Americans were being banned from other hotels and restaurants. Remember the when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier and how tough it was for the Dodgers to go and travel places where oh, they got you know 24 white players and Jackie and the hotels or the restaurants would just say, sorry, we don't serve colored people. You know what I mean? That, that's, that was very real at that time. I mean, I realize this is 100 years ago, but the Bruce family was getting all sorts of accolades and doing quite well in the African-American community because lo and behold, there are a lot of black people who wanted to go stay at their resort. But the city of Manhattan Beach didn't like the fact that there was this influx of people of color. And so neighbors would complain and city council members got upset. And so they finally decided to pull the eminent domain card. Now, eminent domain, if you live near a highway or if you live near some place where the government says, hey, your house isn't a good spot, but your business isn't a good spot for you, but we want to do something that will serve the greater good. I think of anybody who's lived along Interstate 5 in California for years. If you live along the 5, chances are if you're that close to it, you got bought out by eminent domain and something else happened too. They're supposed to buy you out because, hey, we're going to widen the freeway. It'll be better for traffic. It'll be better for congestion, fewer accidents, whatever it is. But then that reasoning also goes along with, oh, and we'll pay you fair market value for your home. Now that gets a little dicey. Because if you've ever had a home purchased through eminent domain, you know that they're not going to pay you what's fair. But eminent domain means, hey, look, we can take your property for the greater good. And how many times did that happen to businesses owned by African-Americans or homes owned by African-Americans? There was a place that was uh, somewhere in the the southeast where uh, there were uh, water wells on a certain piece of property. And the local government decided that they wanted to manage the water. 
the land was owned by African-American farmers, and they basically just came in and condemned the farms and said, you're out, bye. Here's a couple hundred bucks for your trouble. And then all of a sudden had access to all sorts of water that became part of the city, became part of the municipal reserve. And it happened. So in the case of Bruce's Beach, the Bruce family got hit up by the city of Manhattan Beach, and they said, we're buying this because we need to put a park here. City of Manhattan Beach wants a park. And so they bought them out, and the Bruce family never recovered financially. I mean, they wound up having to take the money that they were paid, which wasn't a lot, try to start new businesses, go back to work. A few years later, they both passed away. About 100 years later, members of the Bruce family started hitting up members of the L.A. City Council, L.A. County Board of Supervisors, saying, hey, look, here's what happened. What did you guys do with the property? We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about what they did with the property and why the Reparations Task task Force may actually be onto something when it comes to the land issue. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Analysis, balance, and clarity segment of the broadcast. And we've got the article uh, here from foxnews.com up at thebottomlineshow.com that is uh, the, the basis of our conversation for this half hour. It's about the uh, the state of California's reparations uh, committee for recommendation for reparations and the fact that one of the areas where African-Americans have been uh, asking for uh, a sense of uh, a right to return, if you will, uh, for those uh, black residents who were displaced by development projects, racially restrictive covenants, state-sanctioned violence, they say, and racial terror. Um, they're talking about having uh, a plan to increase home ownership of among black Californians, uh, either through direct financial aid, subsidized down payments, below market rate mortgages, and uh, below market rate homeowners insurance. Where it gets dangerous here is the fact that, and I, I say dangerous uh, cautiously, is that the state, in trying to deal with the fact that, yes, there has been redlining and, yes, there have been Bruce Beaches type situations where African-American families have had their homes taken away. By the way, the city of Manhattan Beach did claim eminent domain on Bruce's Beach. They wound up buying the land at pennies on the dollar. They never did build the beach park that they said they were going to. They eventually sold it to L.A. County, and L.A. County turned it into a lifeguard training station. 
And eventually, last year, the Bruce family was awarded the, the, the land back with a standing offer from the county to purchase that property back from them for $20 million, which the Bruce family exercised earlier this year. That's one example. But you, making it a specific example as opposed to a broad-based stroke, first and foremost, gets my attention as to saying, yes, that is right and fair. Secondly, though, the problem with the task force recommendations is they are a little broad in the sense that they start moving into areas of homelessness and affordable housing, and they start getting state agencies intermingled with other state agencies. Take a look at the cities of Elk Grove and Huntington Beach in California, for example. They really right now are being singled out by Governor Newsom because they will not create basically urban areas or low-income housing the way the state is mandating them to do. That's really not fair to the homeowners who are there. Um, you know, what, what was it? You know, I, I always, my default position on any of these things is to go back to John Kennedy 101 back in 1960 when he was running for president. He said, look, every American should have the opportunity to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, the outcomes are going to be what they are. Right now, we have a vice president of the United States who says, look, this is about equity. It's not about having the same opportunity at the start. It's about having the same outcome at the end. No, that's communism, Madam Vice President. We don't want communism. We just want it to be a level playing field that everybody has the same start that everybody else does. Everybody has the same opportunity to thrive. And some people are going to thrive in the, you know, someone says that, uh, you know, success for them is multi-millions of dollars. Other people is, you know, I don't want to have to worry about money. You might make fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year and be perfectly content, even more content than the person striving for a million. But at the end of the day, it's about liberty, and liberty uh, is a bit more self-defined, giving people the autonomous chance to be who they are and thrive, as God intended each of us to do. Not necessarily for a guaranteed outcome but for a guaranteed opportunity. I'm glad this task force has at least started the conversation and I will be grateful to see the governor not just do sweeping generalizations to try to overspend our way out of problems of the past. But may we as Christians be people who will respectfully listen to people who have great gripes and grievances, but then not rush too quickly to try to solve problems, but to try to change the patterns that got us to this point. That is the good news. And that's the bottom line.